Welcome to this, the Cycle Systems Academy Giro Special. Uh, now, Sean and I are going to try and convene a couple of times during the Giro to, to talk about things that caught our eye. But mainly what's caught my eye, actually, is the scenery of the thing, Sean. I've almost not looked at the bikes because Italy's been so beautiful in the sunshine. Yep, yeah, it's been a great race so far. And um, Grand Tour tech is not quite the same as it was. Even... Um, sort of 10, 15 years ago, you'd have riders that, um, you know, were on frames that were built by their frame builder with mm-hmm. the sponsor's logos sprayed on. They'd have hand-built wheels. There'd be all sorts of interesting modifications. And as really the standard technology anyone can go in the shop and buy has almost got perfect, with a few exceptions, really it's a bit dull. It's like nice carbon frame, dual race group set, C50 wheels, next. Yeah. Um, so... It really tends to be with, with the um, Grand Tours is it's quite an interesting, it's almost like a Eurobike. It's like launch of new product. And it's the same at this year's Giro as well. That's the big talking point. Well, I, th- I think um, we'll go into what I think is the biggest talking point for both of us, uh, which is the introduction of SRAM Wireless in a really kind of a proper focused way as opposed to the old prototypes that we've seen in the past. But talking about, you know, the, the generic carbon bike, oversized bottom bracket, yada, yada, yada. Is there anything that's really stood out for you this year? Not so much in the road bikes. There hasn't been anything that looks particularly different. Um, there was um, just one bike, which was the Lapierre Zellius SL. Mm-hmm. And it only really jumped out at me because it looks like it breaks the UCI rules because it's essentially a, a swoopy, chunky carbon version of the old GT triple triangle. Aye, which... indeed. And, I mean, what they're trying to do is lay it up as a carbon spring with the kind of Trek Demani thing of making it comfier without losing efficiency, which we've never heard before, have we? <laughs> but what, what's interesting is, as far as I'm aware, the UCI rules do dictate a, a double um, triangle frame, diamond-shaped frame. And as far as I was aware, that triple triangle um, that we used to see on the GT frames isn't actually legal within the current UCI rules. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, the one that's caught my eye is actually probably the most mundane of them in terms of, uh, you know, image. And it's the the Trek uh, Amunda, which I really love because, you know, I'm, I'm of a certain age where bikes had to have inch or at most inch in an eighth round tubes. And in a, in a sea of massive carbon, the Amunda's actually, it's quite thin and sprightly looking. So, I mean, it's a good colour too. I've always ridden red bikes. So uh, I usually say Trek are pretty boring, but I think they've uh, they've knocked this one out of the park. Yeah, it is. It's it's um, yeah, it's a great colour. I mean, Trek do all their own paintwork, so they've all, you know they've often got quite nice colour schemes. All it needs for me is external cable routing and a threaded bottom bracket, and I jump on one tomorrow. Absolutely, I had a long chat with uh, my chum Steve McCaw about bottom brackets over a cup of tea last week, and we've been talking about doing a bottom bracket show for ages. And just in a twenty-minute chat with Steve, I'm scared about doing a bottom bracket show again. <laughs> Well, speaking to David from Ceramic Speed yesterday, he was saying they've got 107 different bottom brackets um, standards available in their sort of super slick ceramic bearings. So oh, it is uh, is a bit terrifying that and headsets together. If you want to break into the bike trade, train your staff, or even learn some new skills just for fun, Cycle Systems Academy has a course for you. Our graduates come to us from all over the globe and train with us to gain the highest recognized cycle mechanic qualifications available. The bike industry supports and believes in Cycle Systems Academy, which means they'll believe in you too.
Now, talking about terrifying, people of a certain age will remember on an early podcast me saying that uh, DI2 was essentially a, a flagship product that would never really sell, and they did it just to show they could. And history has shown that I was talking absolute nonsense. Because uh, the world and its granny has embraced electronic shift and, you know, ordinary club cyclists are using it uh, and it's appearing everywhere. But what we've seen in this Shiro is the appearance in the peloton in numbers for the first time, wireless shifting, where there's no even a cable. Well, we say in numbers, it's only on the AG2R bikes because they're the only team left on, on SRAM in, yeah. in the big boys. Um, I would expect that's been largely because SRAM haven't had a, an electronic group set. So That's an amazing thing. I mean, just that one phrase that you popped out there, the only team left on SRAM. Do you remember at the end of the kind of noughties? It looked like SRAM were going to take over the world. I think in t- 2009, 2010, it was, it was almost, I think it was half the peloton was on SRAM. Um, but we've got to remember 2010, so Sky's first year, Sky were the only team on DI2. Everyone mm-hmm. else was on Mechanical then. And as you say now, everyone's either on the Super Record, EPS or the um, or the DI2. Although the new team Wiggins is um, going to be on SRAM. And the, the great thing about teams riding SRAM is they're also on zip wheels. And I always like to see zip wheels out there. Mm-hmm. But coming on to the electronic um, SRAM group sets, we have been seeing them for the past year or so. There's um, a video on gravelcyclist.com that someone took of a mechanic tuning up the um, the kit. And the big talk about it, of course, is that it's wireless. It's the first wireless group set. Now, I was speaking to um, some of the UK Shimano guys about 18 months ago um, at Icebike, which is the big um, sort of show for Madison, the mm-hmm. importer for Shimano in the UK. I said, well, look, will Shimano ever do a wireless DI2? And they're like, well, no, never, because it's um, the problem of having the batteries in each component. So this is what SRAM have obviously decided to do. Essentially, I think as much as a marketing thing, because they can't come out, oh, yeah, we're last to the party with electronic shifting and we've got nothing new to show. So they've got to have something that stands out from the crowd. So they've gone for the wireless. Now, the, thing the thing that strikes me, though, I mean, looking at it, the early prototypes had cables going into a central junction box, which was essentially, you know, the hotspot which controlled the Grupo. Looking at the, the pictures that we've seen of the latest ones, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. There must be a battery in every single component. Yeah, the shifters have just got a little watch battery type thing. It, it, it's, it's not really... Um, a big deal and then of course you've you've got um proprietary batteries in the front and rear mech so one of the i mean the things people always ask about electronic shifting are one what if it rains and two what if you run out of batteries and anyone that's used it or watches pro cycling knows that it's nonsense they work perfectly well in the wet and you charge your batteries just a few times a year really mm-hmm. uh but with this obviously um losing uh, battery power is going to be you know sort of more of an issue because the riders are going to have to just be a bit more on the ball in terms of charging them or replacing them while obviously for professionals they're going to have their own mechanics looking after it for your average rider who to be honest probably doesn't even look after his chain properly we could start seeing people um, losing shifting while they're out on a ride well you're gonna have to have a couple of lr2032s in in with your patch kit now as, yeah, that'll, that'll be almost certainly um, got to be the way to go there. But of course, whether people are going to be able to swap them out easily, we'll see. I, ex- I expect it shouldn't be too difficult. 
But the, other thing, the other thing they've done, which I think is a real surprise, is they've completely changed, as they did with Double Tap, to be honest, the, the shift in paradigm. Because all of the other electronic groupos mimic, essentially, what you do with your hands on a mechanical groupo. But SRAM have completely rethought it, and, and it's rumoured to be one lever shifts you up, one lever shifts you down, and some combination of the two does the chain ring. Yeah, certainly looking at the gravelcyclist.com video, that does appear to be the case. Because, of course, the first thing that Mike and I said to each other when we talked about this was, well, how do you set up the bike on the work stand? Because you can't have one hand turning the pedals and then an extra two hands pressing the two um, buttons unless you use A4 Beeble Brocks. Okay, so what SRAM actually have done is there's a button on the front mech. So in terms of setting up the limit screws, etc., on the front mech, you're just pressing a button there, mm-hmm. which raises the question of, well, to just check that the shift is working with the front mech, you just need your diagnostic tool um, either plugged in or connected via Bluetooth. So it is one of those things which just feels a bit wrong. Although you can you can imagine while someone in a, a meeting would go, yeah, cool. That feels a bit wrong. You can't properly test it in a work stand. But what's been pointed out in um, comment after comment after comment in all the various articles about it in Bike Rumor or Road CC or wherever is, well, with even a mechanical, even with a Sora group set, you can operate two shifts at once. And you commonly do, especially if you're on a compact chain mm-hmm. ring, but even on a standard chain ring, you'll shift up into the big ring with your left hand and maybe shift up one or two sprockets at the back. Now, you can't do that with this. You've got to shift from the front and then shift at the back. So the whole point of electronic shifting is it's faster shifting, it's more immediate, it's a competitive advantage Remember Leonard Zinn called the DI2 front mech the virtual hand sling. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite. This is the virtual someone pulling you, pulling back on your saddle while the teammate attacks. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about this and, you know, I've moved over to a compact as I've got older and fatter. And the one big compromise with the compact, even with the, you know, the plethora of sprockets that we've got at the back, is that you do often have to double shift. You know, the, the big jump between the chain rings means that you might have to, when you shift to, to the big ring, move two or three sprockets simultaneously to get, you know, the next logical gear. So I'd never even thought about that. That's a very good point. Yeah, and also there was a great point, I think, you know, if I could have done a little star in it, I would have done. Someone said, well, what if you're really fatigued or just in the heat of a road race and you actually forget which ring you're in? <laughs> so you're in a small sprocket at the back and you're in the small one at the front you shift into the big ring, and all of a sudden, you've gone up to 53.11. Yeah, you're 113 inches or something on a hill. Exactly. So I don't want to be too down on SRAM. I mean, obviously, after the road bike uh, disc brake debacle, you know, the, the biggest epic fail in bike industry history, as far as I'm aware, um, I don't want to just smash into them again and again and again. I really love rock shocks. I really love zip wheels. Um but it does seem to be that um, it's a lot of people sat in meetings going, cool, cool, and actually bringing out a product which will be a disadvantage compared to mechanical shifting. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I love big bits of the SRAM stable. I love zip wheels, you know, the innovation, even now when they're bringing stuff forward with Firecrest and that sort of thing. Rock shocks, industry standard for as long as I can remember. The bits that you know they bought from Sachs were were really good. I've got to say, 
all of the original SRAM stuff that I've dealt with, I haven't really liked. And I feel like, you know, I feel a bit guilty about that because I like innovation and this is definitely new thinking. But I don't think long term it's going to be a huge threat to the big two. I, I expect not. I don't know if it's going to win them uh, any new teams unless they're offering real incentives there. As we've seen um, Amiga, Etix, um, Quickstep as they are this year, um, dropped SRAM and they're actually awaiting the new FSA electronic group set, which is in development. FSA have wanted to do a complete road group set for some time. They had a TT group set where the shifters were like mini brake levers, you mm -hmm. know, on, the on metro. a TT. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think the, th the thing that stopped them was the mechanical shifting, STI type shifting. So they're going to go for a full electronic group set. But what we've seen um, this year with Etix is Boone and his Cav, several other riders losing the chain off the outside of the big ring. And people have concluded it can only be that the FSA chain um, sets are too flexy to work with the, the Jura Ace um, DI2. And in fact, what they did do is they must have had some SRAM red chain sets left over from last year because they taped over the SRAM and put them on and the chains fell off again. Now, again, th those SRAM red um, chain sets, you know, they're specifically designed to work with that your front mech, the trimless mm -hmm. front mech. So it maybe wasn't the best idea out there. Obviously, I'd love to speak to the ethics mechanics and ask their reasons because I'm sure they've got them and I'm sure they're very, very good. But what we've seen now is that CAV, at the very least, is seen out there on a dual race chain set. Yeah, and, and Budin as well has been been moving stuff about. It's really interesting. I mean, that's the one thing in these days of perfection uh, or virtual perfection that we're talking about, where if you, you put in an entire grupo and it usually just works flawlessly, it's interesting to see that the pros with their extra special demands, you know, the ones who think a lot of them just get on a bike and will ride whatever's put under them. But people like Cavendish and Boonin are still doing the kind of customization that uh, we saw from the likes of Merckx back in the heyday. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show that especially with the modern, very high-end equipment, don't deviate at all. Um, just recently, I was building up a bike. Um, you know, I've been talking about it with the American Classic Wheels, and I've got the uh, Jura Ace mechanical mm -hmm. group set, the 9000 group set. Yeah, you said you um, wanted to compare this year's mechanical with last well, year's DI2. Yeah, essentially, essentially, although more series than years because the 9000 itself is a couple of years old now. But what's, what was interesting is everyone said the front mech was very tricky to set up and it's got its own tool to measure the um, the angle of the, the front mech cable as it goes into the front mech. And I put it on and it, it, it was rubbing and um, I grabbed Mike over who actually sets these group sets up on the, on the team bikes for uh, various teams he works for and, and he couldn't get it set up. And we were both stood there going, well, this is really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> for the first time but were completely stumped first time in a long time and then i noticed um it was just completely obvious when we looked at it but it was the band on adapter for the braze on mech because i was running it on a frame that hasn't got a braze on um attachment for mm -hmm. the mech but i like to run the chain catcher the long yeah. chain catcher which you can only use with a braze on mech mm -hmm. and i was using a non shimano adapter for that mech and that was positioning the mech in the incorrect position. As soon as I swapped it over to the Shimano band on adapter, perf worked perfectly. And the setup's actually really easy. Uh, so it just goes to show that 
the teeniest, most inconsequential, non-standard part of these group sets where the tolerances are incredibly tight can be enough that um, you just cannot get it right. I think we need to we need to just be aware of that when we're buying frames. I mean, part of the reason you go to you know a really high end, a really professional bike shop, or just any decent bike shop that's kept up to date, is they know what works with what. Uh, you know, anybody can order a group set from a you know a mixture of grey area import shops and, and throw something together. And often when they take it into the shop, I mean, this is the last time I worked in a shop regularly, it was 10 years ago. Quite often I'd just have to say, sorry, you bought the wrong thing, you're going to have to change this. And because they'd spent, you know, half a day mucking about with their rounded off Allen keys, it meant they couldn't return it. Mm. Yeah, it is uh, is getting increasingly a problem for the bike industry because more and more shops now will fit parts that customers bought online. And of course... Um, customer may well have bought the wrong parts because it's so easy to do that. Um, one great thing about the SRAM um, wireless group set that was mentioned on the Bike Rumor article was that they think there's a 50 meter range for this wireless shifting. Awesome. Okay, this was from a non SRAM um, contact who apparently had, had sort of um, got their hands on it and, and managed to play with it. So, of course, what everyone's saying is, well, you know, how long till it's hacked? I mean, if people can hack the Pentagon, <laughs> I reckon they're going to be able to do this. And um, I can see I can see Oleg sat in his team car, can't you? Yeah, with an Xbox controller and a big grin in his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he'll be doing it from his plunge pool, you know? Oh, that was... Oh, no, I really wish you hadn't <laughs> mentioned that. That's the most disturbing image of the Giro so far. It, it really, I, I tell you though, I, I really think um, the guy's great value on Twitter and that really made me smile. Yeah, if we start about Oleg, we'll never get this podcast finished. I mean, moving away from the Giro for a moment, because we, we forgot to mention it last week, the, the Tour de Britain, yeah, or the Tour de Yorkshire rather. Tour de Yorkshire, yeah. Uh, there we, was a, a magnificent handlebar on, on one of the surveillers, wasn't there? It was absolutely mental. Yeah, yeah. It was um, it was pretty fugly. Um, now, Savella were claiming that handlebars make up 30% of a bike's drag, which is, that's not marginal gains. That's absolutely staggering. Staggering enough to sound like complete bullshit, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But, I mean, um, maybe without a rider on top and with uh, some very, uh, very aerodynamic bits everywhere else. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what they're on about there, but basically they've got this unbelievable aero bar where the, the top end really looks like a time trial sort of base bar, although it's flat. Um, not something you could hold on to. You know, you literally, if you've got that bar, all you've got is the um, the hoods, the curve of the bar just behind the hoods and the drops. And with a standard stem, they've got what looks like a 3T stem clamping onto this. It really looks horrific. So I'm a, I would hope that if people were going to use this bar that they could make one with an integrated stem, although then you've got a disadvantage that you can't adjust the angle of the bar, or its own proprietary stem, which are integrated a lot nicer. The thing that strikes me about this, and and you mentioned it there, is the angle of the bar. Mm. Because to be aerodynamically efficient, this thing has to be absolutely, you know, at right angles to the wind. So that it's narrow and you know it's it's slicing through the wind. Yeah. As soon as you tilt the bar for comfort, effectively you're you're turning it into you know the cycling equivalent of an F1 front wing. 
because you're going to generate lift or downforce and extra drag. So, I mean, if I was a team mechanic, I'd be fettling a wee tool from, from wood to match the curvature of the bar with a flat edge on the other side for a spirit level. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, but it's a great thing. It's a great bit of bling. Innovation. I mean, we, we can't criticise it. Now, we're going to try and do one of these wee, wee Giro snapshots uh, for, for every week of the tour, so we'll be back next week. Meanwhile, where can people find you on the internet, Sean? We are at Cycle Systems Ack on Twitter. Um, we're forward slash Cycle Systems Ack on Facebook and cycle-systems.co.uk. And I'm putting out these shows now that we've returned to getting them done regularly on both the Velocast Shorts free to listen feed and the Cycle Systems Academy podcast feed. So if you're listening on the Velocast Shorts feed, please search in iTunes for Cycle Systems Academy. And then once we stop putting them in the Shorts feed, you can go direct to your, your, your tech nirvana every week. Thanks for your time, Sean. We'll be back next week.